Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we're working together on how to live as Christians in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We've been on a rant about cleaning the deck, clearing the deck of obstacles and chairs that are getting in our way in the faith uh, so that we can have an unencumbered relationship with God through Christ. Tonight, I want to argue about the need, our need as believers, to rid ourselves of religious governance over sin. We've titled the show, I'm Doing My Neighbor, because I'm going to use an example of somebody coming to a pastor or reverend or priest or bishop and saying, hey, I'm doing my neighbor. And how do you respond to that? Now, remember, the bride of Christ in the apostolic age was to be, and this is directly stated in several places, pure, holy, without spot, without wrinkle, a call of holiness was upon all of God's children in that day. And in that day, that directive was really ex, uh, ex specific and things like avoid fornication, especially in connection with idol worship. There was a huge connection between in, uh, Christians involving themselves in the practices of pagans. When we think about it, fornication today in the Christian life continues to exist. It is the fornication in one way or another is the sin of human beings. Sexual sin is the human sin besides pride. And in reality, sexual sin is uh, synonymous in scripture with idolatry. And when you think about it, sexual sin, as we call it today, is a form of idolatry in our lives. You know, what we say is my intercourse with this individual is more important to me here and now than doing what God would want me to do. God has said avoid it, but I'm choosing to engage with fallible human beings this way uh, rather than to hear his command. That's a form of idolatry. You're saying I want that instead of him. That's, that's idolatry, right? And so the fact of the matter is in reality that our flesh is stronger than our spirit. That's what's happening in a Christian's life. Their flesh is stronger than their spirit, and humans will feed their needs and their wants in the flesh over what the Spirit of God dictates uh, for us to abstain from. That's, that's called missing the mark. That's what we uh, categorically call sin, right? By summarizing it down this way, that it's the flesh then we have the true antidote, the response to that flesh. And it's the spirit. It's the spirit. And we talked about this antidote uh, that uh, rather than just spouting off, someone says, uh, you know, teach me about sex. Don't have sex. Sex is evil. You are bad. That's the old school way that's been around. The demand <coughs> for holiness of the saints comes from a spiritual source, not from the rejection, abstaining, that's evil. That's a fleshly approach. It's from the spiritual source, that God doesn't mind sex, but he wants it in the proper way, etc., etc. So uh, the early apostolic church that we read about, that are old manuscripts that we read about, are the apostles telling that bride she needs to be pure and holy. The call to holiness today remains on sons and daughters of God. But the question is, this is the question. 
what is the best way today in the age of fulfillment to help sons and daughters enter into holy living? Uh, and, and what's a, a non-effective way? And is it the law? Do we want discipline? Do we want judgment? Do we want the anger of man? That is uh, religion. And that is what we have traditionally done in the faith. I suggest that in this age, there are different methods than existed in that age. And there's a different attitude and approach that we have in the age of fulfillment than what we read about in the New Testament. And that way is love and how love is defined by, by long-suffering, patience, kindness, mercy, and all those things. So let's just put this to an example, okay? Let's compare two methods that believers are, are, are approached with by their teachers, preachers, pastors, reverends, etc. A congregate comes to a pastor of a denomination, who is going by the New Testament approach to governing the church, which is just unbelievable that they still think that's what they should do. And they say, I'm fornicating with my neighbor. I'm doing my neighbor. I'm, having, I'm in an adulterous affair. I'm addicted to porn. Whatever the sexual sin is, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing my neighbor just as kind of a title for all of it, right? Depending on the denomination... And frankly, the pastor, the reaction will be, generally, you need to stop now. That's usually one of the first things. You, notice that, you need to stop. And you know, if they could stop, they would have stopped. So you need to stop is really a ridiculous beginning. You need to pay meaning you need to be disciplined because especially if you refuse to stop. So it really becomes a you, you, you are lousy, rotten, bad, and you are in trouble, right? And if you don't stop, then excommunication from the group or some kind of discipline comes from the elders board, the deacons board, the collective church, the pastor himself, you know, also, you need to show contrition for this. You need to go and be groveling. Because if you go and say, hey, man, I'm, I'm doing my neighbor, they're going to be like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like you're very contrite about it, right? So they're judging you and assessing your contrition. And then in some cases, they want you to confess. They want you to confess to a spouse. They want you to confess to the church. They want you to humbly confess and do those things. The basis for these, and don't get me wrong, the basis for these, this method is because when we read the Bible, that is what the apostles are telling the believers in that day. And you can't get around that. So you have to say, well, does that method still work, right? Often in the religious approach, the pastor will then engage in weekly counseling, right? And which the congregate has to mandatorily come to his or her office and, and well, what happened? Did you look at porn this week? How many times uh, did you see your lover? Uh, what happened? Why did you do that, right? 
And then once the congregate has overcome the sin, uh, stopping it altogether shows contrition and makes all the steps possible to bring about reconciliation with the offended parties, they will be absolved of their crime and received back into fellowship to some degree or another. Some, some denominations will still say they blew it there. We never received them back fully. All right. I have to emphasize that this is the way religions do it because they have taken that New Testament narrative and applied it to what's happening to them with the apostles speaking to the bride at that time and day. And I keep mentioning it because it takes a lot of repetition to get it into our heads. Why was this the approach to the New Testament church? And why would the method be different today? Again, why, when we read the New Testament, was that the approach of the New Testament church? And why would it be different today? All you have to do, Jesus came to take his bride. She was going to be his bride. She had to be holy, pure, and and she was called from the dedicated Jews of that age and from the Gentiles willing to undergo the suffering that was all around them for receiving Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And she could not be a whore. She had to be the holy, pure bride of Christ, uh, which he demanded. All you got to do is read Jesus' words to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 to understand this. He tells them, you have got this problem. You've got this problem. It's a demand for holiness. And you read it today and you think, we do too. Therefore, we have to do what the apostles did. However, this approach was also possible with those then, back then, in the New Testament. It was possible for sons and daughters to do this because there was living apostles called by Christ who were given power and, and, and they were given an ability and they were filled with that ability to discern and to guide the church so that the gates of hell would not ever prevail against her so that she could come through that short period of time and be a bride without wrinkle, spots, sin, etc. The bride of the church, uh, was, the bride and the church were also full of the spirit, a, an abundance of the spirit with manifestations of spiritual healings and things going on then which empowered them to overcome their flesh mightily as a means to be the bride and additionally that bride was small relatively speaking so we have a number of apostles we have a small bride we have an abundance of the spirit and that gathering was to be Jesus bride who he would come back to and take to the new Jerusalem right this setup this bride was only possible in the apostolic age, the way we read about it. And once Israel was destroyed, Jerusalem, God himself instituted, God himself instituted in the age to come, the age of fulfillment, which we've been in for 2000 years, that individuals now, individuals are allowing the spirit to come in and reign. Individuals are his sons and daughters individuals die and join that new Jerusalem, not the collective. It's That's why it's subjective. God says, I'll write on their minds and on their hearts in that day. That's an individual thing. 
And God says, anything that can be shakable, I will shake to the ground. So the only thing that remains is non-shakable. That means brick and mortar. That means priesthoods. It means, it means uh, elders boards. It means anything that be shaken, which is a human institution, I'm getting rid of, he said. So the only thing that remains is between him and you, the believer. And in that relationship, he will make you unspotty, holy, unblemished, like he did the bride. But he does it through different methods than what the church was doing back in that day. So therefore, we're left with a faith operating by and through something different uh, in terms of method than what was present then. How would I go about counseling a person who comes up to me and says, I'm doing my neighbor, I'm having an affair, I'm watching porn, whatever it is. Fully, with freedom, love, liberty, allowing God to work in that individual over time and not religion. The principles of patience, long-suffering, non-judgment, allowing the Spirit to work. Why? Because God set that system up. He describes it in Scripture. I didn't come up with it. It's there. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It's in Hebrews in chapter 6 and chapter 10. Read chapter 12 if you don't believe me. He said, I'm going to shake everything one more time so that the only thing left is unshakable. But religionists overlook that stuff. They just overlook it and they say, no, we got to keep trying to do what was done in the New Testament. So the person comes up and says, I'm doing this or that. The most important element of the approach that I'm about to share with you is that it allows that individual to let the spirit work on her or him and for God to strengthen them and for man not to get involved. And in this way, their heart actually will change. Their heart will change. And their actions will then change slowly or uh, over time by and through that heart change. So, someone comes up and says, I'm doing this or that. And I would say, are you a Christian? And they would say, yeah a bad one, and I would say, do you understand that as a Christian, you are a new creation and all things have become new and what is impossible for you, it's impossible for you as a Christian to sin. Did you know that? So is it you, the Christian, that is doing this or that with your neighbor? And they would probably flounder. And then I would say, let me read Paul's words to you that he wrote when he was an apostle to the believers at Roman at Rome. Listen to what Paul said. He said, we know that the law is spiritual, but he said, but I am talking about himself sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, he says, for I do for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Does that sound like someone who uh, looks at porn? It certainly does. Because they're a Christian, they have a new creation in them, but they do in their flesh something they hate. That's what's going on. The Christian's not doing it. That's a new creation. All things are new. It can't sin. 
How could a Christian sin? God is in them. Now he's given them that new heart. So something else is going on. And Paul says, now, if I do what I don't want, <coughs> I agree that the law is good. So then it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Do you understand that point? I would say to him, for I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. That's what's doing the behavior. Got it? I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. This is Paul the Apostle talking. And we should say this to every one of us, ourselves and to someone who says, I'm doing this thing. We should read it to him. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. Did you hear that? That's why I would ask the person, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. Who's doing the sinning here? I guess I am. No, you're not. Paul says you're not. It's the sin in your flesh that's doing it. Right? He says, so... I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my innermost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin, which dwells in my flesh. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ the Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God. That's the Christian of Paul. With my mind, but with my flesh, I serve. That is in the uh, present active indicative. I serve the law of sin. That says every one of us who are Christian, as Christians, new mind, new will, new emotion, given to us by God, new creatures, we are without spot. But the flesh, that flesh serves sin. That's what Paul says. Our Christian says, I don't want to sin. Our flesh says, I want to sin and does. You see? Okay. So I would ask the person who says, I'm doing this. So who or what is fornicating or sleeping with your neighbor or watching porn after reading them this? And they'd have to say, my flesh. And I would say, are you your flesh? Are you, is your flesh, you is the flesh that's going to die and erode and go to the grave and fall apart and become dust? Is that you? Or are you a new creation that when you die and that flesh goes to the grave and disappears, you are going to go to God? Which, who is you? Are you this new creation or are you this flesh? I would distinguish between those two. And they would say, my flesh is going to die and go away forever. And my spirit is going to go to God because they would understand the principle. And then I would say, so then what are you, what you're having trouble with here is the body that you're in, that you're living in. That this new creation this new mind and heart for God is in a body. And what you're having trouble with is that flesh has power over the new creation. 
would you agree with this? And they would say, I suppose so. And then I would make this very, very clear to them. So when you say that you are doing your neighbor, I want you to understand that what you are really saying is that you are allowing or have allowed your flesh, your former man or woman who is supposed to be dead in the grave, who houses, which houses your spirit to reign over what Christ has given you. You have allowed that body to come over and take over in power and might your new heart, your new spirit, your new mind. And I would say, repeat that to me. Even though it was kind of discombobulated when I just said it. And they would say something like, I have allowed my flesh, which is my former person, and should be dead to rise up and reign over Christ, who the new life Christ has given me, my new identity, who I really am. And so what we do is we today, we speak to people of who they are. What is their identity? Do you see yourself as a fleshly being? If you do, it's foolish because that flesh is not you and that flesh and all of its capacity for sin will go to the grave. But who you really are through Christ is a new person and you have been given all the power to rise above that flesh if you want it. And so then what is the solution, I would say, to this disparity that's existing between the new creation and the the thing that is doing its neighbor? What is the solution to this between your new creation and your mortal flesh? And they might say, listen, this is important. They would say, I've got to change. They would go right back to identity. They'd say, I've got to change. And I have to really work hard to overcome my flesh. And if it's porn, that's the problem. They'd say, I need an accountability partner. What do you think the Holy Spirit is? And they would, and if it's sex, they would say, I just got to break off that relationship. And I got to take my phone and delete those numbers. And I have to do, I have to do all of this, right? And then they would add, and I have to repent. Now stay with me. Repentance means at the core of the word, a change of mind. That's what it means. I want you to understand this. When you're talking to a Christian, they've had a change of mind. They've already had that change of mind. That's why the person's talking to you about their sin is because their mind is telling them this is wrong. So they know what's wrong, like Paul in Romans. They know they want to do better, but they're not. So they don't need to repent. They don't need to change their mind. They have the mind of Christ. Do they need to change their actions? That will come as their mind is renewed stronger and stronger in Christ. And so we don't focus on the flesh and we don't tell the flesh through the flesh to turn and repent. That is, that is not the way to overcome sin. You know how I know this? Because I self-imposed this on myself when I was a Mormon and then I became a Christian. I was a man of the flesh and religion could not get me to turn because religion was a fleshly approach to changing the flesh. So when I came to know Christ at the side of the road, I ultimately realized it's him in me that allows me to overcome that thing that's going to die and go to the grave. 
So if that's the case and it has worked in my life greatly, beyond belief, if it can happen with me, a reprobate that I was, it can happen with anybody. Now, I'm not saying religion, when it imposes judgment and warnings and all that, can't change the outward expression of people. And in changing the outward expression, sometimes the inward heart changes too. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But what I am saying is that it doesn't happen well. It, that approach keeps, people's, keep, keeps people as hypocrites and liars and makes them put up a front in church and to lie to others. And it never really changes the heart. It's only God and the Spirit that change the heart. And so we need to clear off the deck the religious practice of trying to do church like they did then and do church the way the scripture describes with each individual being Christian, if in fleshly ways, helping them understand what it takes to drop those fleshly ways because they love God and because they are letting his spirit move versus judgment, condemnation, uh, excommunication, and everything else. I would say even before to a Christian, you did your neighbor, you knew it was wrong. I would say even before you looked at the porn, you knew you shouldn't. So repentance isn't the problem, the change of mind. All, what we're having here is a lingering effect is the body is not in harmony with what the mind is saying. That is the conflict, right? So what do you do? Your mind given you by Christ is not the issue. It, the issue is it might be weak. It might not be fortified. But what Christ gave you is not the issue. It does not need to be changed. It has already changed. I would remind that person that they had already repented in the true sense of the word when they came to Christ. And that they know with Christ in them that everything they're doing that is opposite of what he wants is a sin. And that they're well aware of it. The trouble, I would say, is that their flesh is not agreeing with the mind or the real new identity. Instead, their flesh has exercised its strength and is riding roughshod over their true identity. So I would ask them, what do you do? And if they're catching on, they would come to the conclusion that the need to fortify and feed and nourish who they really are, the spirit is the call to arms. That's the call to arms. That they need to know that when the Spirit is strong and reigning in them, their flesh withers and dies and doesn't have the power it had before. And I would remind them that in the flesh, what surrounds them and houses their new identity is in fact headed for destruction. That, that is not them. It's not them. They have a new identity, right? That flesh will never, ever, ever change. I don't care what. Look at, I read the scripture. I'm into it like mad. I write books on it. I talk on it weekly. We gather together. We're in it. We're in it. 
If I let my flesh start to reign and take a, take place and let my spirit let allow it to have a place, it will do the most vile things imaginable because my flesh will never improve. It can be mortified. It can be trained. You know, you can put a pig in lipstick and in a dress, but bottom line, that flesh will not change. And so we don't focus on fixing the flesh. We focus on strengthening the spirit. And when you do that, it's like lighting a candle in a dark room. That's what it is. I would also remind the person that their flesh is tuned in to doing certain things that are against God. And that doesn't make them worse than someone else's flesh. For instance... When flesh is allowed to reign and there is no presence of the Spirit, some people will just merely be gossips. But they're gossips. Some people will just merely be mean. They would never, they would never have an affair. They would never uh, hurt a child. They would never uh, rape a woman. They would never get in a fight. But they're just mean. Some people, like myself, almost every type of evil is in my flesh. And it's pretty much on the surface. If it gets away, it will go that way, right? And so the point is all the flesh falls in opposition to God. That's what the flesh is. But they're a new creation. And I I would teach them this because if you're in a gathering of people and you're honest and you say, yeah, I'm I'm in an adulterous relationship. Oh, other people, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Not realizing that what's in their flesh even if it's just gossip or meanness or, or, or revenge or something like that, is just as reprehensible to the new creation. So let's not get into a war of whose flesh is worse because all flesh is bad. And I would try to make that point. And I would say my sister, my brother, who I unconditionally love as you are in your present state as a new creation in Christ, I am here, whether your flesh is fornicating, adultering, porning, or whatever it does, just like Jesus was with me when I had nothing good in my flesh and loved me as I was. I am here with you the same. Your brothers and sisters are here with you the same. You see the difference between that and what religion does? See, they want to they monitor the flesh. That is not the way of the church in the age of fulfillment. So let's take flesh monitoring and throw it off the side. Let's get rid of that because it doesn't work. It is, it's an inferior way to help people and it doesn't give long lasting results because the flesh is always wicked. Hopefully they would come to some of the following conclusions. Hopefully they would sit back and talk with God, honestly, which is what I would tell them to do. Well, you're telling me, and I, you know, I, I love you, and I just want to give you support, but go to God. And tell them that what's in their flesh is strong. And that they might even enjoy, enjoy what's in their flesh. I'm really liking doing my neighbor, and I really don't want to stop. Let him step in and work with you. The father of our spirits can take it. So get God in the mix. That's the counseling. 
Hey, have you talked to God about this? Well, I'm raping my German shepherd. Have you talked to God about this? Instead of, <gasps> human, human beings will always rape German shepherds. Have you talked to God about this? Your maker, the father of your spirit, because you're a Christian, right? Yes, I am. If you're a Christian, talk to the father of your spirit. Then hopefully they will ultimately see the benefit of feeding the spirit by the washing of the word and the other things that come to us by the spirit. And then that will help them see the damage of living by the flesh. And they'll be able to make their own decision the whole time being loved by the people in the, in the church community. Because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It will be the love of others in their state which will make them want to be part of that group. Not the religious stuff. Never the religious stuff. And of course, I would pray with them and, and I would follow up with them every now and then, not officially. I'd be like, hey, what's how's life, you know? You still have your girlfriend, you know? How's that going with you and your wife? <laughs> and you take your time and you let love work and you let that come in. The only uh, exception I have ever taken to this approach since I've been in ministry, really, uh, well, not since I've been in ministry, but probably since 2008 or nine, is when someone has become a threat, a physical threat to an innocent around them. And that means an adult to an adult, when an adult is threatening the physical safety of another person or adult to a child or any of that, that I have gotten involved with. I called the police on a couple of them and I have talked to people and said, I, you really shouldn't be here, okay? That's the only time because then they're infringing upon a non-agreeable uh, participant. But everybody else in their crimes and their sins and everything else, the approach is the approach God has with us, not the approach that religion has instituted. And you know, remember, God knew that when the good news went out to the whole world, there was no way that we were going to monitor it through institutions. But he knew by his spirit he could monitor his body uh, through individuals. And that's why he established that he works on individuals, specifically their mind and heart. Write your comments below. We will cover them uh, tomorrow night here on Heart of the Matter.